Thank you. Well, first of all, welcome to all our visitors, which seems a bit strange to welcome Pat and Tony, seeing as they stayed with us last night. But uh, on behalf of everybody, welcome Pat and Tony. And this young man in the front here, front here who I don't know, but welcome anyway. Okay, well, tell you what's been on my heart and uh, what uh, Tim and the guys have been kind enough to let me bring. We've been focusing quite rightly on our individual relationship with God, just how important we are as people, as individuals with God. It struck me when we were singing uh, one of the choruses when it said, and God puts the stars in the sky and he knows them by name. Have you ever listened to the names that astronomers give stars? It's something like 91K5743Z. Well, I guess God is a lot better at naming stars than those guys are. Um, my national insurance number is something like YK1164, and that's how I'm known in the National Health Service. Fortunately to God, I'm known as Peter Douglas, which, uh, which I prefer. What I want to look at this morning, though, is not on the sort of uh, the micro level I want to look at the church on the macro level and just get, try to gain a, uh, a feeling for what we are involved in on the eternal universal level yeah. uh, and from that hopefully gain some enthusiasm if you need any more, I do um, for actually being committed to what we're doing here, what God wants us here for. I know it works at work. My governor, who you, a lot of you know I'm a great fan of, Dave, he's a Christian, he's a terrific governor. He looks after us in our department very, very well, and it really is the kingdom of God uh, on the earth here. And um, there is a great envy amongst the rest of the company for uh, how we get treated in the design office. And it's, a lot of it is down to, uh, to my governor, why he, uh, the way he brings the kingdom into the office environment. And one thing he does, when we get to the start of a new project, he's very keen on getting us as individuals, those who are going to be involved in the project, um, out to see the customer. And uh, as you know, I've flown off to... America lots of times and, uh, uh, and Europe and so on. We get to meet the customer, we get to talk with the guys who are right at the coalface of the big project and we learn all about what they are trying to achieve with the, with the aircraft that they're, uh, that they're designing um, and we get to see our part in it as being not just, um, and most of you know, the company that I work for, designs and makes seats for flight deck crew. Not chairs. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. You really want to hack me off? It's the way to do it. <laughs> um, and so we get to realise that we're not just creating, uh, designing and building seats, but we're designing something for this super-duper new aircraft that Boeing may eventually one day sell. But that's another story. So what I wanted to do today is to just take some verses from...
from some portions from scripture and interpret them from a big picture perspective. That will unfold as we go along. So the first one I want to have a, have a look at, and maybe you can turn to it, is from Hebrews. And this is one of my favourite chapters, uh, favourite verses, a series of verses in Scripture. And it's Hebrews chapter 12. I'd like to read from verse 14 down to verse 24. And perhaps, uh, perhaps from verse 22, we can read it all together. So I'll read the first introductory bit to give it some, um, uh, give it some position, and then perhaps we can all read from verse 22. So, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the eldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought, it, sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. We can go together with a big but. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We'll wait for another three minutes while Alec from his amplified version catches up. Oh, from it. Oh, well done, Alec. Okay. Okay, I just want to have a, let's have a look at these, uh, these verses from verse 22 onwards. So the writer has already compared, he said we're, what we are not, we're not, not anything like coming to the mountain like Moses did. He set that scene and he goes on to say, but we have come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion, as you know, is the sort of um, the spiritual picture of where God is, where God dwells. Uh, Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. And I'm sure you've read or read through Revelation the picture of the city of the living God, which is, uh, well, it's a beautiful place, even by uh, the way that the writer to in Revelation, the way John describes it, it's, it's pretty good. But bearing in mind he was only trying to put words to something that he'd seen uh, visionally, that, that's a word, 
Um, it's a brilliant place. And this is the city of the living God to which we have come to. We have come to thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You can just see, you can just see the, the guy, uh, the writer to the Hebrews, whoever that was, and scholars aren't sure. But um, he's trying to describe this scene that he's seeing in the heavens. Thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. We have come to this gathering. And he goes on to use one of my favourite lines, I think. He says, you have come to the church of the firstborn. Now that to me has tremendous sort of significance. You know, the church of the firstborn. I know, going back to my company again, on our business cards, it used to say, it used to say before we were reorganised, IPECO Seating Products Division part of Ipico Holdings Limited. And I'd just, if the church had a, a business card, I would like it to say, Living Word Community Church, part of the Church of the Firstborn. You know, that eternal, that, that um, I don't know, I can't even use words, but the thing that the writer is trying to describe here, he's looking at the eternal church. He can see Christians, those who have been, um, uh, he goes on to say, that whose names are written in heaven. All of those whose names are written in heaven. He can see this assembly. And we are part of that. You are part of that. I rather think he's looking from the end of times, backwards almost, and he's seeing you standing there as part of the church of the firstborn. We've also come to God, the judge of all men. The judge of all men. Billions of us all. We have passed through judgment on one level, but we've come to God. The spirits of righteous men made perfect to us, Christians, and I guess those who lived before Jesus, don't know how that works out in detail. God does, thank goodness. But we are there, and we've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood. I'm trying to paint a picture of the enormity of where we are. And have a look at another verse. Verse you'll know very well, uh, but just want to look at it through, uh, again, I get a sort of a macro view of it. Romans 8, verses 19 to 21. Let's read, let me read together again from verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope 
that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Now I've looked at that verse and you know you look around at the uh, I love daffodils you know they held the start of spring to me and you know we go if you drive into Billericay on the right hand side past the roundabout before you get into the high street there are thousands of them and but I'm always sort of thinking oh, that's, it's, it's beautiful to see but as well in my mind there is the knowledge they're going to die soon because they don't last for long don't they um, and there's always that, for me, that wonder of the beauty of it all, which I really enjoy, but at the same time thinking, they're not going to last very long. And they go that horrible brownie colour, don't they, and, and die off. Have you seen the photographs taken from the Hubble Space Telescope? Have you ever seen that? They are incredible, the colours that there are out there. There's a whole universe out there of stars and suns, absolutely gorgeous. And we know that that is subject to decay as well. All those stars, our own sun is wearing out. Fortunately, it won't be just yet, but it's dying. It's subject to the same decay as the daffodils are. And what does it say? It is waiting for us to be revealed. Us. The church of God. It's waiting for us to be revealed. Now I don't know what that means, to be honest. Um, if any of you do, then please tell me because I can't fit it in. But it, it, the whole, there's something mag- say magic there. But <laughs> there's something remarkable happens when we are revealed that nature won't be any longer subject to decay. Things will have everlasting daffodils, I guess. But on the macro scale, those stars, the the whole parts of the universe that are at a moment um, being created, dying off, that will stop and change when we, when you and me, are revealed as God's sons. Again, just trying to paint the picture of there's some vast stuff going on here. And we are part of it. We are a very important part of it. The last, last bit I want to have a look at is, is again a verse that uh, you will know. Matthew 16, verse 18. And it's this verse when which our group will know very well. 16, verse 18. It's Jesus is talking to his disciples um, and he said, who do you say that I am? That's the question and it's the response. But Jesus goes on to to say, um, he goes on to say this, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will, I will build my church. And then he goes on to say, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Gates of hell will not prevail against us. His church. 
that he is building. That sense of power and awesomeness, I suppose, that I get from reading those verses. I guess I I see quite a lot of prevailing going on in the world around us. Which I don't particularly like. But Jesus said of us, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I guess in order for them not to prevail, we've got to push against them. But that's us. That's the picture that God is painting of us, his people, his church. Why did God decide upon making a church? Why did Jesus say, I will build my church? Well, there's only one person who's ever done it alone, fulfilled everything that God wants, and that was Jesus, as you know. For the rest of us, we can't do it alone, as much as I would like to try, because I'm quite independent at heart. I know Liz will not agree with me on that. Much. I'm very independent at heart. I like to do things by myself. But, hey, I guess that must be part of my old nature because it certainly isn't supposed to be part of my new nature. I need you guys in order to be the church of the living God. That's how he's made us. That's how he's designed us. And that's why he says, when you come together, everyone hath a this, that and the other. You know? Because individually, we haven't got it all. Singular, uh, singularly, we're not going to do it. Together, we can make it. You know, Jesus says something quite remarkable. We, or he says you, Paul says, you collectively have the mind of Christ. Uh, try to unpack that. That's, uh, it's, I haven't the mind of Christ. Alec hasn't. But together, we can come pretty close. This is the church. I'm trying to, again, trying to, trying to build up this picture of just how vitally important the church is. It's God's plan A. And do you know what? Do you know what his plan B is? He hasn't got one, has he? We are it. We are God's plan A. So in all of that, where does that leave LWCC? We, here, are God's expression of himself. The all-loving, all-powerful, almighty, all-merciful, all-gracious God. We are his expression here. When I look at me, I think... I don't express that very well. Again, maybe it's a togetherness thing. Maybe together we can do it as we encourage one another and so on. But I was thinking about what we do, what we get involved in. Um, And I was thinking about uh, 
Uh, do you remember when Brian, Tim and Keith gave us their five-year plan and put down, showed us on that, uh, that overhead? Um, all the things that, uh, that God, that they'd, they'd sought God together to bring us this, all the things over the next five years. Do you know what? I recognise when I look at that, I looked at that list, but there's nothing new here. And firstly, I got a bit, I don't know, disappointed I suppose, because I like something new and, you know, even if I don't do it, I like thinking about new things and so on. But the positive aspect of that being nothing new is that what we have been doing, we've been doing right. God hasn't wanted to put anything new to us. He's saying, what you've been doing, you've been doing good. I reckon we can get better at doing that, though. And how do we do that? Well, what I've been trying to um, put to you this morning is the big picture of us as a church. And to say that what we do actually matters. It really matters. So what I've been trying, or what I would like this morning, um, the result of this morning, to be a bit of enthusiasm from us all, to do what we do, but even better. You know? And in a practical sense, how do we work out? Well, if we pray, pray more faithfully. If we give, give more cheerfully. Which reminds me of a little story. There was a, um, a Jewish guy who, was, uh, uh, who had a business that was really on the rocks. This is not a true story, but business was really on the rocks and he goes to the synagogue one day and he says God, he says, my business is in a real bad way he says, I badly need a win on the lottery so he comes back the following week after nothing happened, he said, God my business is going downhill fast he said, I've got no orders he said, I really need a lottery win so the third week he goes there and he said, God the creditors are coming in this week. I'm bankrupt. I really need that lottery win. And God says to him, meet me half, halfway on this, will you? Will you buy a lottery ticket? <laughs> in order to get, in order to get a, uh, to be a cheerful giver, in order to pray faithfully, uh, in order to come on a Sunday morning prepared to give, in my mind the secret of that is coming prepared, spending time with God beforehand. Boy, is that easy to achieve? No. I look at Ange and uh, Simon and Catherine and um, Martin, all with their kiddies and Sam. Is it easy to achieve to get preparation time before you come on a Sunday morning? No, it ain't. No. If you can do, however, you can come, you can seek God. What can I bring this morning? How can I give cheerfully, Father? and all of that kind of stuff. We can be more effective. And it's all about spending time with God, etc. So hopefully what I've shared this morning um, is something which, by looking at this, the big picture, of our, as I call it, you can just see how the position that we play in God's eternal plan. 
Okay, I'd like to uh, finish off by singing uh, a somewhat old song. Thank you, Ben, for... Uh... And it's this one. And it's, it goes, I want to serve the purpose of God in my generation. Can you remember that, Father?